Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 9. Uh, we are, uh, as I said last week, we're going to pause now in Luke, even though we're right in the middle of a chapter. Uh, we're going to pause for the summer. Uh, there are many Sundays this summer that I'm going to be out of town, either out of town during the week ahead of time, but then back on Sunday, but with no time for uh, preparation or out of town uh, for the actual Sunday. And so uh, summer's always an easier it's easier to just sort of fill the pulpit and ask folks who are coming in to preach, just pick, pick one of your favorite psalms, and we'll work our way through the psalms. And so we have a summer, a summer series in the psalms. And if we want to be clever, we'll spell summer with a P. But, uh, but today we are in Luke chapter 9, uh, in verses uh, 10 through 17. So if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So as I was reading through this passage this week and preparing, uh, I told Amy halfway through the week that I think this is my favorite miracle of Jesus. But then as I was reflecting, I realized that it wasn't exactly true. Uh, this is not my favorite miracle. This is my second favorite miracle. Um, and then I started wondering, are miracles like children? Are you allowed to have favorite miracles? Are you supposed to, are you supposed to actually like, oh, I learned something from all of them. I don't think so. I think we're allowed to have favorite miracles. I think that there's just, there's so much in the feeding of the 5,000. Um, did you know, for example, other than the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle in all four Gospels? So, I mean, you might say, well, wait, I think there's blind people being healed in all four Gospels, and that's true. There are blind people being healed in all four Gospels, but not the same blind man. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle 
that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all thought was important enough, it pointed to something specific about Jesus and who he is, that it was important that it be included in uh, their account of the gospel. So it seems like there must be something to this miracle that we should uh, understand. There's, there's so much just in the setup to the miracle. Verse 10 reminds us that all of this has taken place just after the apostles have returned from the short mission that Jesus had sent them out on. If you remember the apostles, the 12 closest disciples that he calls and names apostles, which literally means the sent ones. He had called them and empowered them and sent them out to the villages and the towns in the surrounding area uh, to do two things, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to heal those who were hurting and demon-possessed. And so this isn't unimportant to remember that this is what they're coming off of. They're coming off of this, like, we've gone out, we have cast out demons, we have healed all of it in Jesus' name, all of it by the power of Jesus, and now they're coming back, and Jesus has intentionally sought to draw them away with him. He, he wants to bring them, he brings them to this town or outside of this town called uh, Bethsaida, and it's just... And, it's important to Jesus that they get away and have some rest. Uh, if you remember, I pointed out that in Mark, uh, he pointed out that Jesus said, come away with me to a desolate place. And Mark adds the commentary because uh, the, the disciples didn't even have time to eat at times. They were so busy. And so Jesus knows the importance of refreshment and rest but he also knows that's not the most important thing. He doesn't call them away to rest at the expense of the needs of the crowd. And even as they get away, the crowds continue to follow. And soon it's more than a crowd. We're told there's 5,000 men. And so add to that you know, I'm sure a few women and children, we know at least of one little boy because one of the accounts tells us that it's the little boy's lunch that was brought, the five barley loaves and the two fish. So well over 5,000 people are here. And we're told here that Jesus does three things as this crowd follows them. In verse 11. It says, he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. He welcomed them, he spoke of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need. We talk sometimes about the ministry of the church being a, a heart ministry, a head ministry, and a hand ministry. And you see this in Jesus. First of all, he welcomes the crowd. 
He doesn't say, no, no, we, we're a little too busy. We're having, a, we're having a leadership retreat here. I've got some points I need to bring these guys through. I want them all to be alpha certified by the end of the weekend. We really don't have time for you all. But afterwards, you'll thank us because they'll be m- way more equipped. No, he, he has a heart. He has compassion. In fact, one of the writers says in, in describing this that as the crowds came, Jesus looked at the crowd and he, sa- and he says, and he looked at them and they were like, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. How could he possibly drive them away? There's, a, there's heart, there's compassion in Jesus' ministry, but there's also head ministry. He teaches them, he speaks to them about the truths of the kingdom of God. It's not just empty compassion or powerless compassion, but it's compassion that drives them to instruct them. Because as sheep without a shepherd, they need a shepherd to lead them. And so his compassion drives him to speak. But words without actions are, are hypocritical, and so he also heals. And so this, this head and this heart and this hand ministry of Jesus, and it's a reminder to us that, that that is what we as a church are called to, compassion for one another and for our neighbors and for those who are hurting, and instruction, being honest about the truth of Scripture and about the gospel. And then healing and helping and caring for each other and meeting each other's needs and the needs of those in our community and our neighbors. Well, the day begins to wear on. And so, it seems, does the disciples' zeal for service. Now, some commentators say that this might be genuine concern. They might genuinely be worried or concerned for the crowds when, the, when they instruct Jesus, which, by the way, always dangerous. So you get to a point where you're going to advise Jesus on what he should do next. To take a breather and wonder, ask yourself, Am I, should I really be instructing Jesus in his ministry right now? Probably not. But they didn't take a breather. They say, send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and provisions since we're in a desolate place here. And add to that that nobody, including these 12, it seems, have even thought to bring even supper for themselves, let alone for this crowd. So it could be that they're concerned. It could just be that they're done. They're tired of giving up their rest Jesus called them away to a desolate place. We're in a desolate place, surrounded by 6,000 people. That's great. That's great. They may be done with all this head and heart and hand thing. You know, what's in it for us? When are we going to be cared for? It's great because other gospel writers let us know that Jesus, at least at this point, knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. And so we need to understand that there's a method to his madness when he says in verse 13, you give them something to eat. Is he, is he setting his disciples up for failure? What is going on? The disciples respond in verse 14. We have, we have five loaves and two fish. It's not even big loaves. They were barley cakes, we're told in another passage. They're like sandwich size loaves five loaves two fish it's not even enough to feed the 13 of them let alone 5,000 men plus women and children does Jesus expect his disciples to go to town and buy food 
to feed these, this crowd? What exactly is Jesus doing here? And we'll get to that in a minute. First, we want to see what Jesus did here as we look at the miracle itself. And as with all miracles, it's a pretty quick, it's, it happens pretty fast and you don't really expect it. Jesus tells the 12 to have the people sit down in groups of 50. And then verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So did you, did you hear it? Did it sound just a weirdly familiar sentence structure? It should, at least especially on Communion Sunday. He took and blessed and broke and gave. He took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Three times in Luke, Luke uses this sentence structure. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples. All three times, a new and crucial revelation of who Jesus is. Here, in Luke 9, he took, blessed, broke, gave. And what we learn from this, like this is a, this is a miracle that is never to be repeated other than by Jesus when he does it again for 4,000. Like none of his apostles do this. There, this miracle, what we learn, what we see, what is revealed in Jesus after he takes and breaks, takes and blesses and breaks and gives, Jesus is God. There can be no doubt. Jesus is the God of creation. The very one who rained bread from heaven in the form of manna is now standing before a crowd and handing out bread from five loaves, five small loaves. He is the one who feeds the multitude with a boy's lunch. He cannot be anyone other than God. Then the second time in Luke 22, he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave it to his disciples. It was Passover. By the way, here's a little freebie. I know we don't have time for freebies, but what would we do without freebies? Passover. It's the time of Passover right now in this passage. So John tells us that the time of Passover was at hand. Other writers tell us they sat down on green grass, and that's only going to be in the springtime, so it's right there in the, what we would call the April time frame. So it's Passover here also, not necessarily the week of, but they're in that time frame. But anyway, Luke 22, it is actually Passover. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body broken for you. 
We learn in that it's revealed that Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is at that Passover meal. We realize Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then two chapters later, at the end of Luke, Luke 24, we're told Jesus took the bread and blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples or he gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they knew that it was the Lord. It was a Sunday evening meal with two unnamed disciples, not even two of the 12. And we learn there beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the risen Savior, the conquering King. He is alive, and we can be sure that there is forgiveness in his name. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. My pastor in Raleigh was always fond of saying, uh, Jesus didn't perform a miracle here. Uh, The Father performed a miracle Jesus just acted faithfully. I mean, when you look at what he did, I mean, you can see, I think it's more clever than necessarily, I mean, you don't have to like, you're not going to write like a theological discourse on that claim. But look what Jesus does. It says, he accepted what was given to him. He took what was given, he gave thanks, and he used it. That's all he did. What do we have? This is what we have. Okay. So take what you're given, give thanks, and then use it. And then the Father does the rest. Which is a good segue into the lesson. Because isn't that part of the lesson? How often are you and I too busy complaining about what we don't have to even see what's been provided? It's so easy to focus on what's missing that we forget to see what's been provided. And then because of that, we don't, have a, we don't have a heart of thanksgiving. We can't give thanks for what's been given because we're too busy listing out what's still needed if God's going to expect us to do anything that resembles obedience or anything that's going to be successful. Jesus accepted what was provided. He gave thanks and he used it. You have everything you need right now to do what God has called you to do. God does not call you to do anything that he himself would not empower you to do. He doesn't do that. Now, that's different than saying God never gives us anything we can't handle. Because if, you've, if you're more than 10 years old, you know that's not true. Like God regularly gives you more than you can handle. Because he's tired of you thinking you can handle everything. Because you can't. You can't. And he, the sooner you come to grips with that truth, the sooner you'll turn to Christ say, I can't handle this, but I know you can. We need to receive what God has provided for us, give thanks to God for that, not in a fake way, but genuinely thanking God 
for all that he's provided and then simply use it. And let God worry about what success looks like or what is supposed to come from that. We simply are called to believe and to faithfulness. A second lesson I think comes from the 12. What exactly happened to them? I mean, it wasn't, it's not unusual. It's the same thing that happens to you and me. They looked at their situation. They looked at their resources. And they looked at their own abilities and resourcefulness. And it all added up to a great big goose egg. It all added up to catastrophe. They weren't looking at Jesus. They were looking at what they didn't have. They weren't even remembering Jesus That's why I think it's so beautiful when Jesus says, you give them something to eat. It's not a setup for failure. It's a setup for faith. And then for God's success. In one sense, it's a a slow-pitch wiffle ball hanging over the plate that they ought to have just been able to smack into the neighbor's yard across the street. And they completely missed it. They said... We can't. We don't have it in us. We don't have the resources. Jesus, if he had a leather jacket on, he would have said, Correctamundo. Aren't you the same guys? So let me just understand what, what, what brought us to this point. Was it in you to cast out demons? Was that, that was, a, that was a thing you could do? I didn't notice that on your, I didn't see that on your resume there, Peter. You can, so you can heal all diseases that come to you? Is that something you do regularly, James? John, is that a thing you can do? No, of course not. But Jesus called and then empowered and then sent. And without the empowering, he wouldn't have sent because it would have been useless. But having been empowered... You can do it all. You can do whatever God has called you to do. If Jesus says, you give them something to eat, the response isn't, we can't, but, okay, how are you going to do that, Jesus? Because, like, that's, it's the beauty of, of, what is it? Is it Augustine that says, you know, Lord, grant what you command, and then command what you will. That God always only commands what he's already granted us the ability to obey. If we would just look, if we would just see, if we would just trust. If Jesus is calling you, then know that he's empowering you and he's sending you and he's going to be with you in such extraordinary ways. All you need to do is accept what he has given, give thanks, and use it. You say, I can't. You say, I don't have it in me. You say, it's too much. It's too hard. Jesus says, that's perfect. That's exactly where I want you. That's right where you need to be. Now look up and trust me. Because he is truly the creator of all that is. He is the one who can rain bread from heaven. Who can bring bread for 5,000 plus from five little loaves. I think it's interesting because the other, the other writers kind of emphasize that the disciples are annoyed that the 5,000 have followed them. 
It's like, we don't have enough. We don't have enough to give them. We don't even have enough for ourselves. And then what happens at the end of the miracle? There are 12 baskets of food left. So not only is everyone fed and satisfied, Jesus has enough leftovers to feed his 12 apostles one more time. When they were like, we don't even have enough for ourselves. Jesus says, of course you have enough for yourselves. I am enough for you. Jesus is the true bread of life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the risen, resurrected Savior and Redeemer, the conquering King who has defeated sin and death and the devil himself on your behalf. You can trust him. You can follow him. Even when it's frightening, even when it's new, even when it's farther away than you thought it was going to be. You can trust him. He loves you. He is for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. It's almost not enough to call these miracles because all of them are signs. They, they point to something about who you are and how we can trust you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our provider. We can trust you in that. We thank you that you are the bread of life, the Savior of sinners, that you are the resurrected Christ. God, help us to see, to see what you have provided rather than focus on what we think you've overlooked. God, give us thankful hearts. Then give us the courage to simply trust you and do what you've called us to. And then to trust you with the results. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.